1: This episode has been brought to you by Audible. They've given us four copies of the Steelheart audiobook to give away this week. Listening to an audiobook is a little bit like having the epic power of multitasking, because you can read a book and do something else at the same time. We are going to have our third and final Steelheart Twitter contest. Tell us how you would use this power. Here's an example. Dear writing excuses, I wish to listen to Steelheart while piloting my Volkswagen Beetle down the interstate and using my turn signals. You may format these tweets however you like, provided they include the at writing excuses handle and do not begin with the at sign. Yes, yes, we are requiring you to spam social media in order to play. This is our epic power, and with it, we shall give away four audiobooks sometime on Wednesday. Go ahead and follow at writing excuses in order to find out whether or not you've won. You may begin your
2: tweeting now. Season 8, Episode 41.
3: This is Writing Excuses Microcasting. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And we are doing questions sent to us by our listeners. So the first one, how do you find beta readers?
2: I find them on my website. Oh, really? Yeah. I I actually will post things on my site in a password-protected drive. Mm -hmm. And I tell people I'm, you know, I have written a... X number of words, short story, and it's about this. Here's a teaser. I'm looking for people who are willing to read and give me feedback. The reason I do that is because um, I find that if I go to the usual suspects every single time, besides the fact that right. they don't have time for it, um, that I tend to get the exact same feedback every time. Or, or very similar, that everyone has their, their pet peeves. Mm-hmm. And this gives me a much broader range of people.
3: Excellent. Um, my beta readers are all people that I know personally. A lot of them nowadays are members of fandom um, that, are, that have been reading my books for a long time and have proven themselves kind of trustworthy, and I've interacted with them a bunch, and those are the people I now send my books to um, for beta reads. Alpha reads are people like my writing group and my editor and agent.
4: I, I do similar things. Um, I've started sending books to fans. Um, not everybody, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, like you say, there's, there's some people you just tend to interact with a lot or that you meet in person. At multiple conventions, and over time, you're just like, hey, okay. And frankly, that is how I met a lot of my friends in publishing anyway, was uh-huh. going to conventions. And so even before I was published, right. that still was a good place to meet beta readers.
1: My uh, my prose only really has alpha readers. That's my writing uh, My Luxury. My, my, uh, my webcomic has 150,000 beta readers, <laughs> and I just shipped beta, so... Right. I don't have to listen to them.
3: All right. <laughs> legal IP issues. Should you protect a copyright before submitting? Are the rules different for short fiction? Any other legal pitfalls to be aware of?
2: In the United States, and, and actually um, in Europe, due to the Bern Convention, um, the moment you create something, it is copyrighted. You do not need to legally register a copyright. The only time you need to do that is for uh, for written work is um, you can send something to the copyright office uh, and have it registered. Uh, The only time that this is ever in play is if someone violates your copyright by, say, making a movie Mm -hmm. and you have to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have copyrighted it. However, there are so many other ways to prove that Mm -hmm. that this is almost... Like, this is not... You really
3: is, don't want to do it. You, you, don't, you, don't, want, you don't, don't have to do it. If you, there's you no need to. It ever, the no. only reason to do it is if you personally are so worried that it prevents you from being able to work or send things out that you're basically paying 50 bucks for peace of mind that you don't really need. I can understand someone wanting to do that. And if you want to do that, that's okay. <laughs> but you really don't need to.
2: Yeah. And, and basically, the you know, is it any different for short fiction? No. Mm-hmm. Not at all.
1: If you are a if you're an artist and you're uh, you're putting your stuff up on the web, the most common place where your IP gets stolen is uh, companies that make T-shirts. Yeah. Um, Hot Topic has been guilty of this a number of times. Uh, there's I say guilty of this. They've they've bought you know en, en masse shirts from companies that were stealing from other people. Yeah. The good news here is that. Again, copyright is not the thing that you need to register in order to make it work. What you need to do is, you know, be friends with other web cartoonists and folks in the community, and they will drop the internet on Hot Topics' head. Right. I've seen this happen half a dozen times in the last two years, and every time it happens, uh, the artist wins. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, now, you do, when you're doing art, you do want to make sure that there is a copyright notice embedded in there somewhere so that yeah. when someone lifts it from your side, yeah. which they will, uh, it, it's easy to trace back to you. Um, yeah. And the other thing to be aware of is that in addition to copyright, there's also something called um, Creative Commons license. Mm-hmm. Which um, could be a... We should get Corey yeah. on. We, we, we should get one. Corey on. We, yeah. can, we can can yeah.
3: of worms that one for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to make mention of... I don't... Um, this advice may not work for screenplays. I've heard different advice given yeah. for screenplays. We're talking about fiction that you're doing in, in our yes. specific community. Yes. This doesn't really need to be done. Keep in mind that editors and agents aren't going to steal your ideas because the cheapest person they can get to write your book is you. Mm-hmm. And um, your story... That When they're buying your story they're, your story, they're really buying your ability to write. The ideas are not what's going to get stolen. So you really don't need to worry about this a lot, um, if at all. Um,
4: one thing, I, I mention this because it's, it's slightly related. If you want to concern yourself with something, with protecting yourself or saving something, one thing to consider is URLs. Mm. Um, and, and this is not a big concern, but it's one I dealt with a lot when I was uh, a corporate writer. You know, when you are naming things, Mm -hmm. um, places, or spaceships or planets, fantasy lands, it might behoove you to make sure that a URL is available if it's something you want. But again, it's not
3: really a big deal. Yeah, a lot of these are pretty small. I mean, if you also are worried, you may want to search the trademark registry um, Mm -hmm. for the thing that you're naming your book after, just just to be careful. Um, it's searchable. It's it's free to search. Make sure that you know you, that your title is not trademarked. And there's a difference between trademarks and copyright. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Phil
1: Folio shared with me a very amusing anecdote in which a uh, uh, merchandising company came to him and asked if they would like he would like to partner with them on Girl Genius Merchandise. And what uh, it turns out had happened is they had spent hundreds of thousands of dollars developing a merchandising uh, a product of stuff called Girl Genius, and then they did the trademark search and realized that Phil owned that trademark and that URL, lock, stock, and barrel, and they had nothing. Mm -hmm. And they came to him on hands and knees begging, and Phil said, your product looks nothing like my product. You need to go find another name.
3: Yep. Um, When it comes to trademarking, by the way, don't worry about trademarking until, I mean, until I'm, you have a property. Yeah, yeah until you have until a property. property. I'm, I'm the only author in my agent's um, uh, stable who has actually done any trademarking. And yeah. the only one that he's come to and said, you probably ought to look at trademarking you're getting to uh, a high enough level of prominence that you, you need to worry yeah. about For it. For
1: something that we were going to can of worms, yep.
3: we've, we've right. talked a lot about. Let's go ahead and move on to something a little more writing directly related. Dan, someone asked advice for a discovery writer who has trouble figuring out where their story is going, but can't seem to outline effectively. Any little bits of wisdom? Try again. <laughs> I,
2: I actually have something for that one. Good. Um, so what I do with, uh, I, I realized uh, as I was talking to some of the students at the, the retreat here that I write linearly, but I don't outline in a linear fashion. Yeah. And so one thing that you can do if you are not sure where the story is going next is just jot down any scenes that you think you know, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I've had this scene in my head. And you just put them down on the page or on the computer in kind of a random order on note cards, whatever. And then move them around until they start making sense and look for the holes that go in between them.
4: Yeah, Um, I I was going to mention something very similar to that is, you know, at this conference and at other conferences, I have taught my outlining class and my structure class and I, the feedback that I've gotten from a lot of the people here is not what I expected. They haven't been saying, oh, you know, your outlining system that you taught us was great. Some of them do say that. But the, the technique that seems to have hit the most nerves is the cool stuff file. Mm-hmm. You know, take a piece of paper and write down all the cool stuff that you think would be good for your book. Something that this character or this technology or this conflict could create that you would love to see. And once you have a list of that... That gives you a really kind of basic outline of, I know I want all these things to happen in the book. Put them in order and go for it.
2: Yeah, then it's just like alphabetizing. (laughs) I I ask
1: myself a couple of questions. What is, if I'm stuck, what is the worst thing that could logically happen right now? And what is the thing that, the best thing that could possibly happen logically right now? And why will it look like it's almost going to happen but not happen? Um, and I mean, those don't, those don't answer everything, but if right. I can answer those two questions, I've got
3: more stuff to write. I can start moving.
2: Yeah. And, and
3: I, I would also say just observing externally, cause I don't discovery write a lot, but discovery writers having trouble figuring out where the story is going, that happens to a lot of discovery writers. Mm-hmm. And the idea is just write it anyway, keep going, and you'll discover what your story is about as you're wrapping it up. And then in revision, you know where the story is going and the revisions where you really need to know yeah. where you're yeah. going Uh, Let's go ahead and stop for the book of the week. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually have Dan to pitch to us, Anna Dressed in Blood. Yes, Anna Dressed
4: in Blood. This is a uh, great, I I don't know if you, I guess you'd call it an urban fantasy, but really it's a ghost story uh, from Tor. Uh, It's by Kendara Blake, and it is the story of a teenage boy who has inherited from his father ghost-killing power. And so he and his mom travel around the country and, and sometimes the world to places where they know there's a specific haunting, and then he'll find a way to draw that ghost out and kill it. And in this one particular case, when he goes after the infamous ghost Anna dressed in blood, uh, they, the, he and the ghost kind of fall in love with each other. And uh, it is a really gruesome kind of horror ghost story
1: love story. Uh, I really enjoyed it.
3: Excellent, Howard. How can they get that?
1: Head out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse, start a 30-day free trial membership, and pick up a copy of Anna Dressed in Blood, which is probably going to be really awesome to have somebody read to you while you sit
3: in the dark. (laughs) 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 All right. Um, Interesting question here that I get a lot. I don't know if you guys get it, but is what is the best way to pay my favorite authors?
2: You mean besides buying our book? Well, (laughs) Um, even
3: then, there's a lot of questions. Um, You know, buying a hardback, I will get more money from than if you buy a mass market. I find it very interesting that people ask this question because, number one, I'm flattered that they're asking it. Um, but at the end of the day, the reason that I do all of these different editions is because I want it to be easiest for you to find yeah. the format that you want. Totally. Um, yeah. and the best thing you can do, the, the, that you, c- the best way to pay me is to pick the format that will keep you reading mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that will yeah. make you most excited to get to the book. Um, and when people email me, they, I actually get this maybe once a day. Um, email, tweeted, or, or Facebook, someone comes to me and asks this. And my response is, is always, the better thing you can do is loan one of my books to someone else yeah um you know that's how we get our best word of mouth so the best thing you can do for me is say something nice about the book um the best money that we make honestly is off of the hardcover editions Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day i would much rather you buy the cheapest edition which is the mass market paperback but then hand it to somebody else than buy Mm -hmm. the hardcover
2: yeah,
4: and for the price of a hardcover, you could probably buy two or three. Yeah, you could buy markets. one mass markets yeah. from each Give of them us, all your friends. Um,
3: and go read Howard's for free. Yeah,
2: I, yeah. I, I will yeah. say one thing that that people should probably know is mm-hmm. um, that when you're looking at, it, you know, if you want your favorite author to land on a on a best selling list, yes,
3: there is that. That mm-hmm.
2: the the way that those are. Generated is not by the so much the number of copies, but the num the volume that the speed at which those copies yes, go yes. out. the so, trajectory. Yes, yeah, so buying the hardcover the first week it comes out. Yeah. Is I mean that that is the the nice thing to do. That is
3: the best thing, particularly <clears throat> if you've got an author um, that you love that you don't think is nearly as well known mm-hmm. as you want them to be. If you buy that opening day, yep. um, What happens is the bookstore then says, um, "Oh wow." this is selling. We better have another one or two in stock next week because people are buying them so quickly. And the bestseller lists pick up on that because trajectory gets on the bestseller list. And so it goes on these lists. And then when they stock them on the bestseller list shelves, you're, they order extra copies and put them there. And online, they climb up the list so that people see them. And the recommendations of people who like this bought this, that's all trajectory-based, how fast it sells as soon as it comes out. So that is the best thing you can do for an author, um, probably, if if you have an author you particularly love and want to see good things happen to their books. Or,
1: for me, just Mm -hmm. buy everything from store.schlockmercenary.com until you don't have any money left.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Can chapters be too short? Can a book be too easy to read? Is there a stigma associated with short chapters, I like Dan Brown?
2: Um...
3: Oh, just, they get a lot shorter than Dan Brown. Oh,
2: yeah. I just uh, listened to um, Lainey Taylor's Daughter of Smoke and Bone, which is a brilliant book. And she has a chapter that is conservatively, I would say, 15 words long. Mm-hmm. And it works perfectly in this chapter. It makes complete, complete sense for, for the book, for that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, one of but the n-
3: compares very interesting to my seventy thousand word chapter. <laughs> 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 one of the the Ender's books, Ender's mm-hmm. Shadow
4: or Shadow of the Hegemon, or one of those has a two word chapter mm-hmm. where Bean's family has to f- flee, and then chapter seventeen or whatever says they ran, and
3: mm-hmm. then it goes into chapter eighteen. Yeah, and I think that this is just a stylistic choice. Um, And you can't, I mean, if every one of your chapters is a paragraph long, yes, your chapters can be too short. I think that would, but if you, I can imagine a book where every chapter is a paragraph and it works. It might work better as a short, shorter piece, but, you know, I would say it just is what you're comfortable doing. There's no rule of thumb. Um, It depends on how fast you want to jump um, viewpoints. Terry Pratchett does not put chapters in most of his books. Um, Only his YA books have them, and only then, because I believe he was forced to by the editors, um, he just has scenes. And so, just do what you want to do, what feels natural to you, and don't stress chapter length too much.
1: Yeah, chapters are a pacing tool.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, let's do one more. Uh, How much time do you each spend reading?
2: Okay, so this is the thing that they do not tell you when you get a writing career, that you get less time to read. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's really (sighs) annoying.
3: But they do... You, you do spend a lot of time on planes. Yes. And reading is... That's where is, I do most of yeah. my reading. That's yeah. where I do most of my reading as well. And I'm flying a lot lately, so I've gotten through quite a few books. Um, most of my reading time is plane.
1: Planes. Yeah, I read a lot, a lot, a lot of email. <laughs> <laughs> um
3: yeah. I, I feel it's important to read as an author, to yes, keep track so. of what other authors are doing and to be inspired. And so I make time for it. There wasn't yeah. I didn't have to used to make time for it, but now I do.
2: Yeah, I had to set a rule for myself that I um that I don't eat eat at the computer. I used to like get mm. my lunch and take it back to the computer. And now that is reading time.
3: Oh, that's a good idea. it's yeah. a great Smart. suggestion. You can't
1: have any food until you've read a book. Well, no, you, can, you, <laughs> you can't be
3: eating unless you're reading while you're doing it. Because yeah. when you bring the, the um, food back to your computer, you're like, I'm going to get some work done. But typing you one-handed, you're you not going to get work no, done. No, you yeah. don't. Yeah. I, that's why I eat. while well, well, you well, can I get Twitter videos. done.
1: That's work. <laughs> that's well, those are very short chapters. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> OK. Let's go ahead and do a writing prompt. And Mary, you actually have the writing prompt this time. Yes.
2: And for you, I just have three words. And I want you to figure out how this becomes a story. Neon, sniper, gnome.
3: This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write